So let's read this, Colossians 1, verses 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, our, our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the message of the gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Ephraim, our dearest fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who has also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of the glory being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joy, joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you. These men are not preachers. They're not even manic. They are the members of a Welsh rock group who decided to take that absurd name for their group a long time ago. What I'm interested in is the album name which you have in front of you. The songs that they sang on this album, they have put together under this strange title. The title is, This is My Truth, Tell Me Yours. Now, anybody who knows a little bit about postmodernism will know that that's one of the big changes that's been happening in the whole way of thinking in the latter part of the 20th century and the first part of this century. That the very idea that there is truth, which is true forever and always unchanging, has been rubbished. After all, people tell us, this is such a complex and a changing world, there must be many different truths which are equally valid. Just look at all the other religions. Just look at the opinions that you find around you. How can you say that truth is set in stone? That used to be the idea, wasn't it? The truth was something so solid that you never had to change it. It was always going to be the same. 
But what you do with things that you don't like today, you call them fake news. So that even if other people think they're true, you can rubbish them and say, I don't need to believe that because that's fake. I'm sure you're very relieved that we are freed now from many of the lies that we were told in the general election campaign. I noted down one or two of them because I knew I was going to look at this subject today. One of the parties was claiming UK corporation tax is the lowest in Europe. But everybody knew that there were at least three countries in Europe that had a a lower tax level than ourselves. But the fact that that wasn't true didn't matter when the claim was made. Then the other major party was making claims about the issue of anti-Semitism, where they said, we have investigated every case of anti-Semitism. And then the newspapers told you the next day that there were at least 180 cases which had not yet been investigated. One of the papers at the end of the whole affair reported this. This is probably the most dishonest election in modern times. Truth has been a victim of what people want you to believe. So what has that got to do with the letter to the Colossians? Well, I hope we're going to see that. Colossi was a small town in what we now call Western Turkey. It's in the same valley as two other towns, a richer town, Laodicea and Hierapolis. As far as we know, the Apostle Paul never visited Colossi. They did receive the gospel, but not through Paul, but through this man called Epaphras. Now, Paul is probably in Rome and in prison at the time when he heard bad news about what was happening at Colossae. Because the people in Colossae, the Christians, were in a minority in their town, and they were under a lot of pressure from false teachers that were coming in amongst them. And they were asking the Christians at Colossae to, well... You've got to take on board some of the teaching of the people around you if you want to influence them. But the teaching around them, some of it came from uh, Greek philosophy, some of it came from the Jewish background. But what was certainly true is that these people were under pressure to adapt to what other people around were thinking. Now that's the sort of thing that churches have felt all along. It's not comfortable to be out of step with the thinking of most people that you work with or most people that you live with. And this is one of the matters that we've got to look at tonight. That one of the clear ideas that's current today is that truth no longer matters. You can believe what you want to believe. My truth and your truth means, well, people can have their own opinions. And as far as most people today are concerned, it's not that neither of you is wrong, it's that both of you are right. And this seems incredible for us to understand. This wouldn't be such a bad problem if it were not the fact that the churches 
of our country, of our generation, have taken on board this kind of thinking. Now, I don't want to be ungracious towards other brothers and sisters in Christ who worship in different churches. But as an example, let me tell you about the policy which the leaders of the Church of England are adopting now about the same-sex marriage of clergy. They're proposing that this would be a thing that they can do in their churches. Now, the Bible men and women in these churches are saying no. But most of the bishops are saying yes. But the policy is not to decide between them two. The, the, the policy is to say they're both right and we don't need to separate about that because truth is something which is subjective. It's something which anybody can believe, more or less, what they believe. Now I spend time looking at this in order that we might see the relevance of this letter to the Colossians. You see, the danger the Colossians were, were facing is of accepting the thinking of the world around them and bringing them into the church. And that's what all churches today face. So how does Paul answer that? What is Paul's response to that? What Paul says to the Colossians is, you must come back to the centrality and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must see that what matters more than anything else is who the Lord is, that he is the Lord of all and he is the truth. Let me just read to you again from this chapter. We haven't read this yet, sorry. Verses 17 to 19 of this chapter. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the first spoon from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now in, in later evenings, this later passage will be opened up to us and we shall see more about what that means. But the simple fact that we want to focus on this evening is that in this whole discussion about what is truth, what Paul says is come back to consider the Lord Jesus himself. We're going to look at verses 1 to 14, the passage that David kindly read to us. It's a prayer of Paul's thanksgiving and his concern for these people that, that they may grow in knowledge. And this spiritual growth needs a message that is true. It's the truth of these things which is the basis for all that he's going to say and help them to understand. So as we go through verses 1 to 14... I want to look with you at three lessons that we can learn about the truth and take them to heart today. We're going to go through the passage just as it is here. And from the first eight verses, I want you to see that we can be thankful for a gospel that is true. We can be thankful for a gospel that is true. If you look at verse 5, he speaks about the true message of the gospel. Literally, 
it says the truth of the message of the gospel truth is not an adjective it's a noun here it's the truth that is the message of the gospel so how do we see that in the opening verses well it's because he opens the whole letter by talking about God doesn't he Look at the first verse. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. When he talks about Jesus, he tells him the Christ. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The message of the gospel is about these true realities which are about God, who he is, and what he has done, and what he is to his people. Now when you read the Bible, right from the very first page, it doesn't argue for the existence of God. Philosophers will want to talk to you about things like that, and whole books have been written about the proofs of God's existence. The Bible doesn't do that. From the very first page of the Bible, God is revealed, God is affirmed, God is taught to us because God is the only true God. And the reality of who he is makes the message true. And that's what matters by the people who have to believe it. Then there's something else we can see here in these verses. That the ministry of the gospel came through a true messenger. As I said earlier, as far as we know, the Apostle Paul didn't visit. But there is reference here to this man, Epaphras, in verse 7. Our dear fellow servant, a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Now the reason why Paul is saying this is because they were troubled by false teachers. There were people coming in to Colossae saying they were Christians, saying they were teachers, but what they were bringing was the thinking of the world and not the truth. So Paul can say, you Christians are believers, you have grasped the truth because the man who brought it to you is a faithful minister of Christ. It is a repeated lesson of church history that where things go wrong in a church it's often because they have had the wrong teachers. How vital it is that churches like Long Crendon should guard the pulpit. Not anybody is allowed to preach here, I'm glad to say. I'm one of the privileged few. Why do we do that? Because we know that today even the word evangelical is being used by people who no longer believe in the gospel as it's taught in the scriptures. And there are places which used to be strong churches and today are empty shells because the teaching has not been the teaching of the truth. We have a true gospel when we receive it from faithful, true messengers. But there's something else about the true gospel here. And that is the fact that the effect of it, he says, is bearing true fruit. Jesus said of false prophets, by their fruits you will recognize them. 
And as you can recognize false prophets, so you can recognize genuine teachers. So what is he saying here about the way in which these people have received the true message of the gospel? Well, he says it's come to you in the same way that the gospel is bearing fruit. Now, we can't go into details about the fruit there is here, but you can look back to verse 5 and see that he's talking about their faith and about their love, again about their love in the Spirit and about their hope. These things are the fruit of the gospel. When the truth is preached, when it is believed, and when it starts to have an effect upon people's lives, then it bears fruit of that kind. And he says, it's the same genuine thing that you'll find wherever the gospel is preached. All over the world, he says. Now, sometimes the Bible uses language that seems to be uh, extravagant. The world for them didn't include North America. They hadn't even known it was there at that time. Their world was the world in which he said the gospel is now being preached and the gospel is bearing fruit. By genuine fruit, you can see it must be a genuine gospel. We can look around, even in a congregation like this, and we can see people who, within recent years, have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we be sure that they're true Christians? How can we be sure of what they believed? Because you can see the fruit in their lives. You can see their love in the Spirit. You can see their faith. You can see the hope that they have. And the true message of the Gospel is evident where it bears true, genuine fruit. Let's move on then then to the second lesson from verses 9 to 11. We must grow in a wisdom that is true. Moving on from asking for things in these first verses, now in verse 9, Paul starts to pray for them, asking for something. And he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now this is an absolutely crucial point. He's saying here, it's not just wisdom that you have, it's wisdom the Spirit gives. Now why is he saying that? Well, because wisdom was a big word in the whole world around Colossae. Wisdom was the main idea of Greek philosophy. The word philosophy means love of wisdom. The Greeks were big on wisdom. They had all kinds of experiments of wisdom and ways of talking about it and discussing it. And Fundamentally, their idea of wisdom is it begins with your mind. If you think right, you will live right. That was the wisdom of the Greeks. But how does the Bible deal with that? You look at some of the other letters in the New Testament, you read what's written in the letters of the Corinthians and in the letters of the Romans, and the New Testament is saying, the trouble is, sin has affected their minds as well as their behavior. And so, 
in Romans chapter 1 verses 21 Paul says their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools all this thinking of the world which is being brought into the church is not wisdom at all it's foolishness the wisdom he wants these people to have the wisdom that will know God that will understand God is the wisdom that comes only from the Holy Spirit that's why he's praying and asking them for it now we must take care here we don't believe that it's wrong for Christians to go to school and learn from people who aren't Christians there is an understanding of many things in the world that we can receive from others and some of them will want to call that wisdom but when we want to know the will of God when we want to know God we can only go to the Holy Spirit it's only he that can give that kind of wisdom that's why Paul is praying for these Colossians bombarded by all the thinking of the world I want you to have the true wisdom that comes only from the Holy Spirit that's why I keep on asking God for it now there's something interesting about this kind of wisdom you'll find in verse 10 because he goes on to say that you have this wisdom so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work growing in the knowledge of God the wisdom that comes from the spirit is a wisdom that helps them to please God in the way in which they live it has to be the whole of life it's not mere academic understanding it's living it's learning in order to live and he says I want you to be filled up with this that you may know the will of God in order to please God now I said a little bit recently about having the right kind of preachers well we must also not ha only have the right kind of preachers we have, must have the right kind of listeners mustn't we we must have the kind of preaching which is going to help us to live differently to live so well that we can say as it said here that we're pleasing God in everything and as we're growing in understanding we're growing in obedience to him the preaching must have a Monday effect if it's going to be wise and spiritual on Sundays. This is so demanding that the language that's used here is language that we need to take seriously. Do we really say, I want to please God in every way, to bear fruit, every good work, that means that every time I come I may learn something more to change me a bit more to help me a bit more to show me how I can grow a bit more the wisdom that is true 
is going to affect how we live. Now verse 11 goes on to tell us something quite extraordinary about this wisdom. Because this wisdom not only helps us how to live, but it also helps us how to suffer. Look at what 11 says. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great victories, so that you might achieve great miracles? No. He says you need to know the power of God in order to endure with patience. You see, Paul knows that the pathway for the Christians at Colossae is going to be trouble. It's going to be hard for them. And because it's going to be difficult for them, he says you're going to need help from God himself. And you need the kind of teaching, you need the kind of wisdom, you need the kind of application that's going to help you to get through all kinds of problems. He says to be strengthened with all power that you may have great endurance and patience. Now this is good advice for us in an area that I think all of us face difficulties over. I pray for you all as members of the church by having the list of members and going through them day by day, not all every day, but going through regularly so that over a period of weeks I pray for all the members of the church. I have a diary in which I pray for some of my family. I now have such a big family, I have to divide my family up and pray for someone each day. But once you start doing that, there's a big danger, isn't there? There's a danger of not knowing what to pray, particularly. Lord, bless Joe. Lord, help Kate today. It's not easy, is it, to find the best kind of things to pray for people like that. Here's some advice. Get Colossians chapter 1 out. And if you only read verse 11... That would be something to pray for each other tomorrow, wouldn't it? That we might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Or you could even read the verses from 9-11. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Make this the kind of things that we pray for, so that we might see that we are all growing in the knowledge of God and in the wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. That's the second lesson then. The first one, we are thankful for a gospel that's true. Secondly, we must grow in a wisdom that is true. Now the last two verses, I want you to see that we can rejoice in an experience that is true. We can rejoice in an experience that is true. Without a break in the sentence, when he's been praying for them to have this wisdom, he says at the beginning of verse uh, 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father. 
giving thanks to the Father for what? Well, for the things that he has done, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, verb tenses are very interesting in the New Testament. And in these verses here, what Paul is doing, he's saying, you can rejoice in what God has already done for you. The tenses are verbs that mean he's done this, now you can be happy about it. What has he done? He's done these things in order that we might give thanks to God. You see, the experience of the gospel covers more than our just saying, thank you for Jesus for dying for me. It has a lot more content than that. And one of the values of our reading the letters to the Colossians one of the benefits of coming here on Sunday evenings to hear these sermons is going to see that we'll have our mind expanded and understanding we might know what God has already done for us. The more we know about what God has done, the more we can rejoice in it. It's not just having a thankful heart, it's giving joyful thanks to God. Our emotions are involved. Don't be afraid of that. Having joy, being able to smile, being able to say, we've got a great God here. We can sing about him. We can thank him. We can look back for what he has done. This experience, Paul says, you've already had. Now rejoice about it. What in particular has he done? Verse 12 and 13 talks about qualifying you to share in the inheritance of his holy people a new kingdom, the kingdom of light. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Where were we? We were under the dominion, under the control of darkness. What has he done? He's rescued us. Rescuing means some people were in danger. He's now saved them out of it. And has he taken us out of one kingdom? He's brought us into a, another kingdom. He has rescued us and brought us into the kingdom. Actually, the word that's used here is a much stronger word than brought. It means transferred, translated, transported, transplanted. Now you gardeners know about transplanting things, don't you? You take something from where it was and you uproot it and you put it in a new place so it can prosper in a new place. What has God done for you? God has transplanted you. You're in the kingdom of darkness under the dominion of sin. And he's rescued you from that and he's put you into this new kingdom altogether. God has done that. He is the true God. It's the truth that he's done. It's the experience that's true. You can rejoice over it, he says. And then, he says in verse 14, God has paid the price for our sins to be forgiven. 
in Christ we have redemption the forgiveness of sins the true message of the gospel is about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins now tragically you and I could go to many, many churches not very far from here you could listen to their teaching you could sing their hymns but you wouldn't hear anything about judgment and hell and sin why not? well that's not how we get crowds today is it? it's not how we gain interest today It's not how people think today. The whole idea of authority and judgment and absolute truth, these things aren't believed today. And so, sadly, many many churches say the best way is to soft-pedal all that and not even to preach it. But isn't it tragic? Because one day these same people are going to wake up and find out that it is true there is a judgment day there is a God who is offended by sin there is such a thing as the wrath of God that's part of the truth but thank God so also is the message of the cross so also is the fact of redemption redemption is the language of slavery where the one who was a slave has to be redeemed. Somebody has to pay something for him to have his freedom. And God has paid the price for us to be free and brought into this kingdom. And how has he done it? He's done it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the consequence? It is the forgiveness of sins. Sin is a reality. But so is forgiveness of sin. This is the truth. This is the true message. This is the true experience that Paul is saying these people can rejoice in. That's why we have hymns to sing. That's why we do celebrate the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because not only has he given us a true gospel, Not only has he spoken to us about this true wisdom, he's given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ this true experience. So how are we going to conclude this first look at the letter to the Colossians? I think the best thing to us to end on is to say this. Truth is not an abstract concept to be discussed. Truth is not something for philosophers to argue about. Truth is a person, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus himself is the truth. I hope we should look at verse 17 later on and see what's involved in this statement that all things come together in him. As the creator, it's all in Christ. As the Lord of history, it's all in Christ. 
as the God of redemption, it's all in Christ. As the one who holds the future, it's all in Christ. Everything that is true is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it is not, it is not the truth of God, but it is in the person of the Lord Jesus. I think we best help our confused generation not by arguing with them about whether my truth or your truth is the right one, but by telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God, in his grace, takes the truth of Jesus and applies it to the needy heart. That's the witness and responsibility that we have. Spend a few moments now. You might want to think about some of the lies that you've heard recently, how people have tried to pretend something's true and you know it isn't. You might like to think about people who you know, your friends or your family, who are disturbed by this. Not everybody buys this. A lot of people don't like the idea that truth is being so twisted. Is there somebody we could talk to about that and say, we know where the truth is really found. It's not in our philosophy. It's in the person of our Lord Jesus.